0: Take your Bibles, if you will, or your phone or your iPad or whatever it is you use to follow along and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28. It takes roughly two weeks, two to six weeks, for paper trash to decompose. It takes about two months for a piece of cardboard, about six months for an orange peel, about five years for a milk carton. 10 to 12 years for a cigarette butt, and about 100 years for a battery. The point is that these things, as they decay and decompose, it doesn't happen instantly. It's a process. It takes time. And so that decay is something that happens over time. In 1 Samuel 28, we'll read this morning a very dark story of where King Saul seeks the help of a medium, a necromancer, and who that person was, it was someone who claimed to have some sort of relationship with the spiritual world, some insight into how this lady could contact dead spirits. That's what we're talking about this morning. If I use the word witch, do not think of a Halloween witch that has a broomstick and and an ugly nose. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. This is a, a very evil, wicked woman who believes to have some sort of contact or ability with the dead. I'm pretty sure that when we're finished, you'll still have questions. This is one of the strangest and most intriguing chapters in the Old Testament, if not the whole Bible. But I know that we will come away with this chapter with at least a couple of main lessons that we can learn and apply to our lives. One of those is the seriousness with which God views this type of sin. It is an abomination to God. And another lesson that we'll see is the danger of a slow fade in our lives that gradually takes us farther and farther from God, which is what we have seen in Saul's life. Let's look at the first two verses of the chapter. Before we kind of get to the story about Saul, we still have to deal with David and the fact that he's in Philistine territory. He has uh, gone to Philistine territory. We saw last week in the last chapter uh, went to King Achish for asylum. And now King Achish gathers his men and his army to fight against Israel, and he assumes David is one of his now. So look at the first two verses of chapter 28. And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle, thou and thy men. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Akish said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. I mentioned last week that David's poor choice of turning to the Philistines for help and for safety, it would be successful for a while, but it was going to bring with it some of its own consequences. He's going to put himself in some very strange and difficult situations that he shouldn't have been in, and this is one of them. Because he is now, quote-unquote, allied with King Akish, at least Akish thinks so, King Akish commands David and his men to fight with him against Israel. But did you notice David's answer? He didn't really say yes or no. It was a very veiled response. David just said, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. Basically, he said, You'll see what I can do. You're fine with me, David. You'll see what I can do. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. Obviously, Akish assumes that David is a mighty warrior because he's been benefiting from all the plunder that David and his men have brought back during their raids. But now you'll see it firsthand. We've got to kind of wonder what David really meant by that. If you've read ahead or if you remember the story, you know that David does not end up fighting against Israel. Really because the rest of the Philistines don't trust David. King Akish thinks David's loyal to him, but the rest of the men say, there's no way we're marching to battle with David. He'll turn on us. This isn't smart. So King Akish has to dismiss David and send him home. And it it, it doesn't come to that. I don't believe for one second that David intended on following Akish into war against Israel. But he shouldn't have even been in this situation to start with. And I think that's the reason he gives this veiled response is that maybe he doesn't know what he's going to do just yet, but you'll see what I can do. Okay. King Akish is so certain of David's loyalty that he's ready to make David his lifelong bodyguard. But then we stop with David's story. We stop with King Akisha's story. And in verse 3 to the rest of the chapter, our attention is turned to Saul. How is Saul going to respond and react to this uh, Philistine onslaught? And the fact that they're gathering their troops to march against Israel. And verse 3 gives us some some reminders and some crucial information. Look at verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. So we're reminded, first of all, that Samuel has died. We read that chapters ago. Samuel is dead. But we're also told that King Saul has banished this wicked group from Israel. The, the idea of these people that had familiar spirits and these wizards, it refers to these people who claimed to have that communication with the dead that I mentioned earlier. Someone who felt like they could conjure up spirits through these seances and these methods. Um, we would call them a necromancer or a medium. The Old Testament is absolutely clear. This is an abomination to God. Multiple scriptures in the law of Moses denounce this as evil. Leviticus 20.27 20, says, A man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones, their blood shall be upon them. Leviticus twenty and verse six goes a step further and says, If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. And then Leviticus 19.31 says, Do not turn to to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Those are just three in the the law of Moses, and we'll talk more about that wickedness later on. But we're reminded in verse 3 here that Saul was not always the Saul that he is now. Because we're told earlier in his kingship, he had banished all of these people. He had put them out of Israel which was a very righteous and godly thing to do. That was something that that was in accordance with the law of Moses. And so at one point in time, we've kind of got to rewind for many years, but Saul was a good king. Not for very long, but he started out humbly. He started out in a good way. Do you remember his very first victory, how he responded? He had this great victory the first time he led Israel in battle as their king. And there was a group of people who didn't want Saul to be king who had murmured and kind of went against him. And after that victory, some Israelites wanted to kill that group. But Saul mercifully and righteously said, Nobody's going to die today because the Lord gave us this victory. I mean, what, what more do you want from your king? That, that's a perfect response. Now we read that he has done this to put away the wizards and the sorcerers and the, and the mediums out of the land. Saul wasn't always the man he ended up being. And we're reminded of that here. But look at verse four, and, uh, 4 through 6. When Saul heard about the Philistine army, he was very afraid. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid. And his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. When Saul sees this massive army, he's scared. He is afraid. And so after not inquiring of God for years, at least we're not ever told that he did, All of a sudden he inquires of God. Now he wants God's help. Now he wants God's will. Now he wants God's advice. Isn't that a lot like people today? They don't need God until they're in trouble. They don't need God's help until they do. They're just fine on their own unless they need something. Please don't misunderstand, when you're afraid, turn to God. When you need help, turn to God. So don't misunderstand that. But fearful times should not be the only faithful times. Every circumstance in your life, whether good, bad, or ugly, should revolve around God. If you are having great blessings and great times, then you praise God for those times and you be thankful to Him for those times. If you're having tough times and trials, then you lean on God during those times. Then you pray for His help. But no matter the situation in life, God should be the focus, not just bad times when we need His help. God is not a genie that can grant our wishes just when we want Him to. Always focus on God, no matter the situation. Here we're told that when Saul inquired of God, simply the Lord didn't answer him. God didn't send a dream to Saul. He didn't send a vision. He didn't uh, let his will be known through the Urim, which has to do with the priests and how they would discern the Lord's will. It's interesting that it even brings up the Urim, since it has so much to do with the priests, because do you remember what Saul did with the priests of God? Remember the man named Doeg. And Saul commanded Doeg, his servant, to slaughter the priests. And there was only one that escaped. And where did he go? He went to David. So it's interesting, of course, God's not going to answer Saul that way. You're killing my priests. And he also says he didn't answer him with the prophet. Samuel's dead. And the only other named prophet we know about is Gad. And guess who he's with right now? He's with David as well. It shouldn't surprise us that God is silent here. He has already rejected Saul's dynasty. He has rejected Saul as king because of his disobedience and his unwillingness to repent. God has removed his spirit from Saul's kingship. In fact, for years Saul's been trying to kill the one upon whom God's spirit does rest now. So it shouldn't surprise us that God is silent here. Did you read anything in verse 4-6 through about Saul repenting during this time? None. There is still no repentance from Saul. Now all of a sudden, though, he's scared he wants God back on his side. God doesn't answer. But I want you to notice verse 7, that it doesn't take Saul too long to move on from God. Verse 7, Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there's a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. There's so much wrong in this verse that it's almost hard to know where to even start. Number one, it is so shameful and wrong for Saul to turn to this wickedness for help instead of repenting and asking for God's mercy. He doesn't do that at all. He quickly moves on from God. Secondly, he's turning to something and someone that he knows is detestable to God because his own kingly decree sent these people out of Israel because that's what the law of Moses said. So it's not that he's ignorant. He doesn't care what God says about this. We also see a little bit in here of his failure as a king and the weakness of his commands because even though he commanded for these people to be expelled, there's still at least one there. So King Saul can make decrees all he wants, but maybe they weren't really fulfilled. They weren't really carried out. And last, do you find it interesting that when Saul asks for this, they know right where she is? Can y'all find me a medium or a necromancer? Yeah, there's one in Endor. How did you know that? It's sad all the way around. His servants are wicked too. Wicked people like wicked company maybe. So it doesn't take Saul long to move on from God, but I want you to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 10. This this story is brought back up and mentioned briefly in 1 Chronicles chapter 10. And I I wanted to read it because I want to point out something in these two verses that, that proves to me that Saul really didn't care that he heard from God anyway. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 10. Look at verse 13 and 14. It says, so Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit, to inquire of it, and inquired not of the Lord. Therefore he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. See, I thought first Samuel said he did inquire of God. And now First Chronicles said he didn't inquire of God. So there's a a contradiction in the Bible, I'm leaving, I'm going home, right? When we dig a little deeper, it makes perfect sense what these two books are saying. There's no contradiction at all. If you'll turn back to 1 Samuel, verse 6 and 7, where it describes the inquiring of God and the inquiring of the the witch, there's two different Hebrew words that are used that were both translated with the same English word for, for whatever reason. In verse 6, when it said Saul inquired of the Lord, that just simply means to ask, to request, to question. It's a very simple word. But in verse 7, when it said that he wanted to inquire of the witch, that's a different word. It's a stronger word. It's a more intense Hebrew word that means to seek with care, to diligently investigate. That's the same word used in 1 Chronicles. Saul did not seek God like that. Saul did not diligently seek God. He didn't carefully seek God with with concern and desire. Oh, he asked. He inquired. But God was silent, so let's move on. God, what do you want me to do? Nothing? Okay. He didn't diligently seek God's will, but he did diligently and carefully seek out this woman. Seeking this woman was not only wicked and wrong, but look in verse 8, it's dangerous for Saul. Physically dangerous, not having anything to do with God's judgment on him, but physically this was dangerous. Saul will have to do a whole lot just to get to this wicked woman. Look at verse 8. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. He said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit and bring me him up whom I shall name unto thee. If you have a a map at the back of your Bible, you can try to find these cities later or if you have some way to do that. But for now, just trust me. Endor, the city the the woman was at, is about four miles away from the Philistine camp. And in order for Saul to leave Shunem and get to Endor... He's going to have to pass by the Philistine camp. I may have said the city's wrong. Saul was at Gilboa. He's going to have to risk his life and come dangerously close to Philistine territory just to get to Endor where this wicked woman is. He knows the danger of that. He understands the risk involved. What do you think the Philistines would have done if they captured the king of Israel? Not going to be a good time for Saul. So he waits till nightfall. He puts on a disguise. He takes off his kingly robe. He lays down his crown. He dresses like a normal man. He takes two bodyguards with him. He risks his life by going around the Philistine camp just to get to a wicked woman. Saul, what are you doing? He sought her carefully. He didn't seek God's will like that. But he sought this woman like that. But she's not dumb. She's careful too, because what she's doing is illegal. So look at verse 9 and 10. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? This is a trap. This is a trick. I can't do that. You know Saul said we can't do this anymore. Verse 10. And Saul swear to her... What? Saul swear to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. What? What Saul says to the woman in verse 10 is beyond ridiculous. He swears in the name of the Lord that doing something the Lord condemns will not bring punishment. Saul has no right to say that. One author says, this, says it this way, that Saul's oath is, is so ridiculous that, quote, it turned God against himself. Such an oath was not only foolish, but actu- actually blasphemous. To promise by the name of God that doing something that's detestable to God would not bring judgment. No man on this earth can say that. You don't have that right. Even the king of Israel doesn't have that authority. But... This rash vow, not the first we've seen of Saul, this rash vow calms the woman a little bit because she's going she's to start up. She's going to continue with this illegal and this wicked activity. Look at verse 11 through 19. Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. He thought about this, hadn't he? Bring me up Samuel. Verse twelve, and when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid. For what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw God's ascending out of the earth, or 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 a spirit ascending out of the earth. Verse fourteen, and he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up. He's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and answers me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Verse 16, And said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee and has become thine enemy? And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me. For the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, and given it to thy neighbor, even to David. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executed his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines." And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. We've seen a few places in this scene where where the whole thing is described as bringing someone up, Um, and it gives us a little insight into how these mediums would operate during that time. These women in their homes would have some sort of a pit dug. And that was kind of their conjuring station. And so literally, it was the idea of bringing someone up. And so that's why we see that terminology there. This scene is one of the strangest, most intriguing scenes in the whole Bible. There's a lot of different opinions about what happened, a lot of questions. Was that really Samuel? Did a witch really have that kind of power? Was it smoke and mirrors? Was it a trick, a gimmick? Was it some other spirit impersonating Samuel? Or was it some unique act of God in this specific situation to, to sentence Saul for good? There's a lot of questions, and I, and I, like I said, when we finish, you'll probably still have some. But I'll, I will give you my thoughts. First, I think this was truly the spirit of Samuel. Just the straightforward reading of the text presents it as Samuel. So that's one, to me, big reason. Is just the context presents it as Samuel and, and no other way. Another reason that I believe this was truly Samuel is the conversation that he and Saul have. The conversation that these men have together is exactly like one we would expect them to have. It's not strange. It's not weird. It's, it's a conversation between Saul and Samuel. They even bring up past conversations they've had, right? Samuel brings up renting the, God renting, uh, renting the kingdom from, uh, from Saul. He brings up... Uh, the fact that he didn't execute Amalek. I mean, he brings up past things and past conversations that people other than Samuel wouldn't have known about. So to me, that's a, that's a big proof that this truly this really was Samuel. And then a third reason is that when Samuel prophesies towards the end of his speech, he prophesies that the Philistines are going to win this battle and Saul, you and your sons are going to die. And notice in verse 19, uh, he, is, he is doing this in the name of the Lord. He, he's invoking the name of Yahweh in these prophecies. And guess what happens to these prophecies? They come true. What Samuel says comes to pass. The Philistines win the battle. Saul and Jonathan and his sons, they die the next day. Within 24 hours, Saul is dead. And one of the the methods the Old Testament gave Israel, uh, the law said, here's how you know if someone's truly a prophet. If they prophesy in the Lord's name and it doesn't come to pass, they're not truly a prophet. But if it does then there's your clue. Samuel is prophesying in the Lord's name and it comes to pass. So to me, uh, for those reasons, there may be others, I do believe this truly was Samuel speaking to Saul that night. So then the main question remains is, is this woman really powerful enough to raise a dead prophet back up in, in, in her little pit in her house and have this conversation? Or is this a unique act of God in spite of the lady? I lean towards the latter, that it's a unique act of God in this situation It was definitely a strange night for the woman. Did you notice in verse 12, kind of between verse 11 and 12, we're never ever really told if the woman really gets started. I don't know, maybe that's reading between the lines too much. He says, bring me up Samuel. And when she saw Samuel, I don't even know if she got to start all her voodoo magic. Maybe she did. But notice what she did when she saw Samuel. What does it say in verse 12 that she did? She cried with a loud voice. She was scared. We thought Saul was scared of the Philistines. This woman is scared. One of my old seminary professors says the most surprised person there that night was the witch. One one commentator says her strong reaction suggests that Samuel's appearance was unexpected. Perhaps this was the first time she'd ever actually succeeded in contacting the dead. that may very well be true. Maybe this lady was a complete hoax, smoke and mirrors and nothing more than just a con artist who conned people out of money uh, and pretended that she saw things and heard things. That could very well be true. But maybe this lady did actually possess some demonic and evil powers. Maybe she did. There are dark powers in this world. There is evil. It's real. But either way, God's in control. This would not have happened had He not allowed it, one way or the other. Whether this woman was a con artist or not, or had legitimate evil powers, not the real issue here, even though it gets all the press. Everybody loves to talk about this and dissect this. The issue is this, that Saul is so far gone that he risks his life to seek guidance from some wicked person other than the Lord. It doesn't matter if this lady is legitimately evil or a con artist. Saul didn't care. That didn't enter his mind. He just wants help from someone other than God. And within 24 hours of consulting this necromancer, King Saul will die just as Samuel prophesied. So the end of the chapter, verse 20 through 25, gives us Saul's last supper, I guess we could say. It's his last meal. Look at verse 20. Then Saul fell straightway all along the earth and was sore afraid. He sure acted like it was real, didn't he? Because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no bread all the day nor all the night. And the woman came unto Saul, and saw that he was sore troubled, and said unto him, Behold, thine handmaid hath obeyed thy voice, and I have put my life in my hand, and have hearkened unto thy words which thou spakest unto me. Now therefore I pray thee, hearken thou also unto the voice of thine handmaid, And let me set a morsel of bread before thee, and eat, that thou mayest have strength when thou goest on thy way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman compelled him, and he hearkened unto their voice. So he arose from the earth and sat upon the bed. And the woman had a fat calf in the house, and she hasted and killed it and took flour and kneaded it and did bake unleavened bread thereof. And she brought it before Saul and before his servants, and they did eat. Then they rose up and went away that night. Saul is is scared after he hears Samuel's words. Everything Samuel's ever told him has come true. He's afraid. He's weak. We're told that he's been fasting. Obviously that added to his weakness. But we know that he did, did not diligently seek the Lord. And so the fasting didn't have to do with that. At least one author suggests that Saul's fasting was done as a pagan practice to prepare for the conjuring session. And if that's true, that just adds more fuel to the fire of of what Saul was willing to do to get to this woman. Waited for nightfall, took bodyguards with him, snuck past the Philistines, changed his clothes, fasted. Saul's pretty far gone. One major lesson that we need to take away from this story is how serious God views this type of sin. Saul dies the next day, and this sin is specifically mentioned and linked to his death in 1 Chronicles, which we led earlier. We could maybe say it's the last straw, so to speak. Listen, do not ever, ever seek any supernatural or spiritual guidance from anything or anyone except God's word and God's spirit. It's dangerous, it's wicked. Christians should have nothing to do with horoscopes, with psychic hotlines, with Ouija boards, with fortune tellers, with palm readers, with seances, you name it. Stay away from everything like that. You say, Brother Matt, I don't even take those things seriously. I just think they're funny. God doesn't. God doesn't think it's funny. I am 100% sure that some of that is complete hoaxes. That it's a joke, that it's smoke and mirrors, but there are true evil powers in this world as well. And you don't want to mess with it. You don't want to dabble in that even a little bit, even thinking that it's a game, even thinking that it's funny or not serious. It is an abomination to God Almighty. Stay away from those things. Never attempt to contact the spiritual world or gain spiritual information or anything like that outside of Jesus Christ. I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we're going to read verse 9 through 15. Deuteronomy 18, look at verse 9 through 15. This is, this is God speaking through Moses to the children of Israel. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. That speaks of, of the ancient pagan practice of child sacrifice. Keep going in verse 10. Or that uses divination or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do. Look at verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. Did you notice that God views this type of sin right up there with child sacrifice? that's pretty wicked and did you also notice that in these verses God didn't say don't listen to these people because it's fake maybe some are, maybe some aren't the reason God told him not to listen to these people is because it's an abomination to God it's wrong God demands and commands that his children listen only to him Turn only to Him. Lean only upon Him. Seek only Him. And in verse 15, where Moses mentions there's this prophecy of this prophet like unto Him, and you listen to Him, that's a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the prophet that God would raise up from among their people, from the Jews, and He is the only one for you to turn to and listen to. No one else. Paul said it this way. There's one mediator Between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You are asking for serious trouble if you think there is any other mediator between you and God or any other bridge between you and the spiritual world. There is nothing worth trying. It's only Jesus. That's it. You don't need magic in your life. You need the Messiah. Give Him your life if you never have. Repent of your sins if you never have. And ask Him to save your soul. And He will. And He'll be with you. And He'll guide you. And He'll lead you. So we need to understand how serious God views this. But the other main lesson I want us to to realize, and hopefully it really hits home since we've studied all of 1 Samuel up to this point, and we've seen Saul's life, is that Saul didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to go find a necromancer today. I think I'll consult with a medium today. There were a lot of smaller sinful steps that led to that night. King Saul started out kind of humble. He started out good, at least after that first battle. But just like garbage, it took Saul time to decay. Over time, he became disobedient. Over time, he stopped seeking the Lord's will. Over time, some pride and jealousy crept in, especially when David showed up. And all of that just kept leading him farther and farther away from God and closer to Endor. People don't just wake up one day out of nowhere and say, you know what, I think I'll ruin my marriage today. I think I'll ruin my career today. I think... I think I'll never go to church again starting today. Yeah, that's good. I'll become a drug addict starting right now. Or you name it. Those types of things happen when you take smaller steps and more sinful steps in that direction that that culminate in something major in your life. Say, well, what do we do then? We saw it in King Saul's life. How, How do I keep that from happening in my life? It's really simple. Follow God every day with just your next breath, with just the next step. You don't have to look 30 years from now. You don't have to look a week from now, really. God, I'm going to trust you with my next breath, and then the next one, and then the next one, and ask for God's grace to avoid those small steps that lead to huge disasters. When you find yourself afraid, God is the only one you need to turn to. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its honesty, its truth. Help us to apply these lessons to our lives, Lord. Look only to you and to to abandon every worldly thing. Help us to, to follow you each step of the way and with your grace and your help. Help us to serve you and follow you instead of making catastrophic mistakes like Saul did because he refused to repent. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and that he died for us. We ask these things in his name. Amen.